When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings, humans. You have entered the Command Zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Presenting! Uh, did they say presenting at weddings? Oh, they- <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Here we go. Let's get ready to marry. <laughs> yes, that's definitely how it goes. Yes, uh, what's up, everybody? You're watching slash listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. You're the married one of the two of us. I, you should know that. I yeah. am. Yeah, well, I have not, an excuse for not knowing. Not a very traditional wedding. We definitely did not present anyone. There was no microphone that dropped from the ceiling. Uh, today, we are talking about Crimson Vow. It is the final set review, I believe, for the set uh, because we're talking about the cards that go in the 99. Yep. We've got all the cards that are not legendary creatures from the set to talk about. There are quite a few, a lot of cool stuff in here. But before we get into it, you're going to want to put some of these. There's new staples. Every single set, there's a couple. There's uh, like a bunch of white staples, amazing. There's a bunch of really cool white cards. You definitely want to get your hands on this stuff. The best place to go to find it is channelfireball.com slash command. They have a brand new marketplace. They are, their inventory is super, super huge. They got great prices. I've ordered stuff from the marketplace many times now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get stuff super, super fast. You get a professional experience. Like I've been really happy every time that I've used it. So have you used it yet? Yeah, yeah. And the nice part is that you know you're actually supporting a real local game store. Sometimes you can look up the actual store you're, sh- you're shopping from and go like, oh, cool. This And now you actually get to support them. It's awesome. Also, if you forget to put in the affiliate code, you can just do it at checkout. Just type in command when you check out and you'll also be supporting the podcast. Yeah, we really appreciate everyone that does that. Another way to support our podcast is with Ultra Pro products. Woohoo! They do make the awesome sleeves, deck boxes, play mats, wall scrolls, so many different things now that are themed around each and every set. They uh, get the the intellectual property rights mm-hmm. from Wizards so they can put the real art for the cards onto all of their beautiful stuff. And they really have a great printing process, so all that stuff turns out really, really well. Yeah. I love the, the new deck boxes that they've been doing and just theming my new decks around like whatever the commander is or the set is. It feels really good, it's particularly for this one, which is really like yeah. really, really themed with the vampires and all that stuff. Instra's got some great art. They also will do like the exclusive art for the secret layer drops that have very special art and you'll never see those things get printed again. And Ultra Pro is the only place to get it. So if you support Ultra Pro, you also support the show. And the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. So the patrons get really cool perks, one of which they got to take advantage of recently because we had Game Nights and Extra Turns oh, yeah. come out and they get to see that. Actually, at the time you're watching this, it might be Extra Turns that's about to come out. I don't... Oh, uh, boy, our schedule is complicated. But either, either, way, way. <laughs> either way, they get early access to the stuff and also ad-free. So uh, I know our ads are pretty funny and a lot of our patrons do go back and watch the regular version just to watch the ads. But if you don't like them, Cool. You can skip them if you just become a patron. And that's a patron at any level gets that perk. Yeah. And you get to watch the episodes a day early. And then if you're at another level, you can talk to us on Discord about it, ask us questions about the game, reflect with other people in our community. So a lot of fun there. So make sure you check out the Patreon. And we shout out one lucky listener every episode. So this episode is dedicated Dedicated to to Evan Ayer. Ayer. 
Evan. Ayer. Ayer, Ayer, Ayer. Ayer. All right. Okay. Uh, let's get into it here. This is the Crimson Vow in the 99 set review. We're going to do what we did for Midnight Hunt. It was pretty popular, which is we're yes. only going to talk about the cards we think will become either staples in the format or kind of close to it. Or just super interesting. Yeah, and then we might talk about some fringe cards that we think are maybe better than they look or have more interactions than appears at first blush. But we're not going to talk about like, hey, put this vampire in your vampire deck or put this zombie (laughs) card in your zombie deck. You don't need us to tell you those things. Um, One note here, we will be including the cards from the commander product Mm -hmm. uh, in the 99 cards. And if we miss a card in this discussion, um, then just go into the comments and start the discussion there on your own. And we'll definitely be sure to check that out because, you know, we might miss a card that a lot of people think are good. And if that's the case, then uh, maybe we'll mention it on a future episode. Instead of commenting first, you can comment the card we didn't talk about and start the real discussion. No, this is going to be a big hit in the format, guys. You missed it. Um, We also talked about the new mechanics and stuff in the other episodes. So you can just check out those set reviews if you want to do that. We're going to dive right into it because we have a lot of cards in front of us to cover today. So we're going to start it off with the cycle, the legendary card cycle, that, or the mythic cycle that's in this set. It's called the cemetery cycle. Yeah, these are all not legendary creatures, but they're yeah. all creatures with the word cemetery at the beginning. Yep, and they're in each of the colors, so we'll just go through each of them one at a time. Let's, Alphabetically. Let's start with Cemetery Desecrator is the black one. It's four black black for a 4-4 four, four creature zombie with menace. When Cemetery Desecrator enters the battlefield or dies, exile another card from a graveyard. When you do, choose one. Remove X counters from target permanent, where X is the mana value of the exiled card. Or, target creature and opponent control gets minus X minus X until end of turn, where X is the mana value of the exiled card. So this is an ETB or dies trigger. Uh, You basically get to remove counters based on the mana value of the card that you exile from a graveyard, any graveyard. Or you get to kill a creature or nerf its power and toughness by minus X minus X. Yeah, probably you're not doing that unless it's actually going to kill the creature. Yep. Um, Yeah, so... All the cemetery cards are all the cards in the cemetery cycle. Basically, when they come in, you exile a card from a graveyard, and mm-hmm. it has some effect based on the card that you exiled. This one, you can choose between two things, which is interesting. Yeah, it's the only one I think that has that modal option. Yeah, the rest just kind of do a thing. Um, and then also, this one triggers twice. So when it enters the battlefield and when it dies, some of the other ones do trigger twice on like attack or something like mm-hmm. that. But so you're, you're kind of going to get to remove two creatures is probably the most... That's the most likely to happen the most often. I think you probably will remove counters once in a while, especially from like planeswalkers and things like that. But this is a six mana removal spell in black, and it is conditional as well. There's nothing in graveyards. Someone happens to mm. Tormod's crypt the entire graveyard out of the the into exile. Then Cemetery Desecrator looks very bad in your hand. So we immediately it, compare this to like Noxious Gearhulk, which is also a six mana. But when it enters the battlefield, you definitely can kill something. That's true. Noxious Gearhulk is. Like, no setup, right? Play yeah. it, kill thing, that's going to happen. This is like, uh, some setup has to have happened. It is a six drop, so there are likely to be some things in graveyards. Yeah. However, if you want to kill something big, you need something pretty big in a graveyard to get rid of it. I think there is a little bit of upside, and I don't know how to weigh this, Jimmy, but it is useful to exile things from graveyards. Yeah, but so that's the, six mana? Well, I mean, just as a, it's like a little bit of gravy, right? Like, oh, a I got rid of, of a thing. Yard. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got rid of a thing in a graveyard that might come yeah. back later or be recurred in some way. So. And potentially kill a creature or something on the way out or take down the planeswalker. So 
Yeah, it's an interesting the Noxious Gear Hulk. When when we make that comparison, it makes me think this card is quite a bit worse because yeah, I don't play a lot of Noxious Gear Hulk. Do you? No, I don't, uh, and I would only do it in an artifact-based deck. Now, if you have ways to flicker this a bunch, this goes for all the cemetery cards because they're all enter the battlefield effects. Right. Uh, or, I guess, kill it, recur it, kill it, recur it. I mean, then, that's more likely in black, right? Yeah, but it, again, it's clunky. It, it's not something that you can just instantly do. We don't have recurring nightmare in this format, so you can't really, like, really get this engine you going. You can reanimate, you can animate dead, but is this really the target you're going <laughs> to want to do that for? Right? I'd rather do Shieldred or something. Yeah. It is a zombie, so it's got those synergies. Um, yeah. The cool thing about the counters is it's any counters, so you could remove counters from like an Ozolith. You could remove uh, counters from... Everflowing Chalice just you, totally yeah. host somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you could remove counters from like like lifelink counters from uh, the, all the other oh, cards that add those counters. Yeah, so... But again, these are super niche, so I, I think this card is just what it looks like, which is a limited bomb. Um, but, but just like Noxious Gear Hulk power level for commander which is like basically you might see it once in a while but not probably not very often yeah if you want to kill something black has got plenty of ways to do so all right let's look at the red one it's cemetery gatekeeper one in a red for a two one with first strike it's a vampire when it enters the battlefield exile a card from a graveyard all the cemeteries are going to do some form of that and then it says whenever a player plays a land or casts a spell if it shares a card type with the exiled card cemetery gatekeeper deals two damage to that player Okay, now this feels very red. Red has punished people in the past, past Zozu and all that for playing lands. So if you exile a land, it will it will deal the two damage for the lands. But it wouldn't. It's not landfall either. It's when they play the land. So yes. that's um, similar to Horn of Greed. So if they play a fetch land, they won't take four damage. They'll only get it when it enters the right. when they play, play it the it. first time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my initial thought was like, oh, you definitely do land because that's pretty much guaranteed to do six damage per rotation table. But it does it every time they cast a spell of the type so if you know you're playing against a creature every deck and you get and you nab a creature every time they cast a like think of shadowborn apostles oh yeah <laughs> if you if you just got creature they just can't really play the game very well yeah or a spells deck a storm deck or something if you get instant or sorcery yeah. you could really like make it so like oh i can't do this because i'm gonna have to cast six spells and that'll kill me the two damage will add up over time that's for sure this is also just a two one so it's a creature it's not protecting itself in any way um it you know these types of things typically sit around the table and don't get dealt with and until you need a, a blocker wipe. or a board wipe so i think like you can at least value it a little higher because you know it's going to be kind of just like a nuisance at the table um the nice thing is that it can do this to anyone any player not just the player whose card you exile from the graveyard or whatever you can exile a card from your graveyard i think land is the safest choice and if you're in any of those red decks that's just about do as much damage to everyone as possible get them down to zero and punish them in a bunch of different ways then i think this is a fine addition to those suite of cards yeah, it's a two-drop, so the cost is not very high. I can see this getting played in a decent amount of red decks that are trying... If you're trying to deal damage, like, yeah. this is going to do enough damage for your two mana over the course of a game if you get it early. If you get it late, it looks pretty bad because mm-hmm. it's not going to do anything right now. It's the kind of thing that has to accrue over time. So that's always the downside of cards like this. But if you can play this on turn two or even, like, turn three... It, over the course of up. the next four or five turns, it's liable to do, like, 30 to 40 damage. <laughs> and that's a lot for your two-drop. Yeah, and if you're in a vampire deck and you're oh, you combat-based, then this is, I would say, like, hey, why not? It's a 2-1 vampire that's going to trigger Edgar Markarv or whatever, and you're just going to start nailing everyone to the wall for playing lands or casting whatever spell you think is going to be most prominent at the table. But again, you have to have that card in a graveyard to exile first. Actually, that's a really good point. If You you, you might not be able to even play it on turn two. Yeah, you might Somebody not Somebody will to. have had to have a fetch land or something. There might just be nothing in a graveyard at that point. Yeah. So that is that is a downside of the low drop part that I didn't really think about until just now. Yep. 
Okay, Cemetery Illuminator is the next one. It's the blue one and probably the best one. It's one blue-blue for a 2-3 Flying Spirit. Whenever Cemetery Illuminator enters the battlefield or attacks, exile a card from a graveyard. You may look at the top card of your library at any time, and once each turn, you may cast a spell from the top of your library if it shares a card type with a card exiled with Cemetery Illuminator. Okay, this is pretty sneaky good one blue and white have the most flicker abilities so you can flicker this a bunch and change the type of spell you want to cast from the top of your library now keep in mind when you flicker cemetery luminary it comes back it is a new copy of it it so, won't remember the exile cards from before yep so it's because it's a new permanent so whatever you exile when it comes back in will be the only kind of card you can cast off the top of your library you, there's not really a great way to to get two cards yeah uh, but this is great once each turn i would just yeah exile an instant and go nuts in the blue deck yeah exactly that's the thing once each turn so if you say instant or you, you exile an instant then you're going to be able to get full value whereas creature or something sorceries those, those can only be cast on your turn mm-hmm. so you can never get more than one uh not never you could obviously have flash speed vidalcan orrery yeah ley line my favorite cards and everything but i think <laughs> in general this is going to go in um instant heavy decks think of like even just counter spells if you got a counter spell on top of your library and oh, then, wow. during another opponent's turn boom i can cast it because it's that's my one each turn yeah and, you know, with Sensei's Divine Top, Scroll X, and things like that, you can really, you know, this can dry you effectively two or three cards pretty easily. Yeah, Brainstorm seems like the obvious heck yeah card with this. Uh, you all can both of cast it and, and yeah. reorder top of your deck, and then you're going to have a lot of scry effects in blue as well. So I think this just has a lot of overall utility, and the fact that you can attack with it pretty easily, it's a 2-3 flyer, um, means you're going to be able to exile more than one card, so now maybe this has an instant and a sorcery and an artifact yeah. and a bunch of other things under it. So I like this card a lot. Um, anytime you get to increase your hand size to 8, basically by looking at the top card of your library, it's a pretty good effect. I don't think blue needs more help in this world, but it's going to be the best card of the cycle because that's just how it be sometimes i think green has something to say about it but yeah big surprise there but yeah (laughs) this one is very good and doesn't take a lot to make it good yeah because really if you get one card off this thing you're it's fine and if you get two it's just kind of mold drifter right so Mm -hmm. yeah a a slightly better mold drifter in that case uh slightly better it comes in and sticks around as a two three flyer for three yeah well yeah mold doesn't instant draw you but yeah yeah Yeah. well it could right because you could do it and then yeah you could find that card type at the top of your library like that same turn if his turn you know if you've got more than three mana it could try that card right away yeah let's talk about the white one which no one is arguing is the best of the bunch yeah womp big surprise but don't worry white gets a little comeuppance in this set uh that's weird because they do have a card called comeuppance but it's not (laughs) it was our preview card yeah a long time ago long time ago yeah Uh, okay cemetery protector is the white one it's two white white for a three four human soldier has flash now that i believe does matter because this is the only one in this cycle that has flash but flash uh, exile a card from a graveyard is way more powerful yes. than sorcery speed because they can go to target something with like reanimate or animate dead. You flash this in, get rid of their target, and now you just got them. You've countered their reanimation spell or whatever. Uh, also says, whenever you play a land or cast a spell, if it shares a card type with the exiled card, create a 1-1 white human creature token. So this is... Whenever you do the thing that matches the thing that you exiled, Similar make to the a 1-1. One, one. One. Yeah. Um, making a 1-1, one, one, not that impressive. Mono white, flash, four mana, get rid of a card in the graveyard, slightly more impressive. But overall, not terribly amazing. It is a human. It is a soldier. If you're in those decks and you want to make more token makers. But four mana, I think, is like one of the toughest slots to just throw arbitrary yes. cards into in, yeah. in decks these days. It, it, it usually eats up your whole turn and you really don't have anything else to do. There are so many good four drops, too. This yeah. is the same slot as Smothering Tithe. Smothering like, are you going to hold this up? No, you're going to play Smothering Tithe. 
Yeah. Or Divine Visitation. Which... It also goes into only a specific strategy, I think. Like, whereas the um, the green one and the blue one, and even the the red and the black ones, mm-hmm. like, can go into multiple strategies. Like, the black one, it just kills things. You know, obviously, you want some self-mill and some other things maybe to make it uh, the most effective. The red but, one yeah. just, like, damages everybody. Yeah. This one, if you're not in a token strategy deck, I don't think you can play it. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you do, then it's just kind of like a, oh, what is that doing in your deck? Oh, eh. What am I going to do with the one ones if I don't have other synergies like Anointed Procession and Cathar's Crusade? Divine Visitation, make yeah, angels. Yeah. yeah. So if you have those cards in your deck, I think this becomes quite good. But if you don't, then I don't think you even think about playing it. Yeah, and again, white is a spell or a color that has lots of cool removal. There's other things to do at four mana, so I just don't see this necessarily making the cut unless you satisfy like three extra. Oh, it's good for this deck because human soldier, one one white human creature tokens, and maybe you need this incidental graveyard aid. I think this could have easily been a two drop without flash, mm. uh, not a three four. Obviously, I don't care what it is, a one two. Who cares? Um, then that would have been way better. And also would have been kept in check a little bit by the fact that as a two drop, there needs to be something in the graveyard that you can exile to really make this work. So you yep. might not even be able to do it all the time. But at least on turn four, you could go two drop, two drop, or turn seven, go this and something else. Yeah. You know, so. I think the thing about Cemetery Protector and the fact that it's a human, and there are a lot of human decks in Legacy and Vintage, at that the moment you get it into the three, but then like Inspector. Yeah. Well, they could have made it a not human and made it not make humans, you know. Yeah. But what? then it's an in Innistra. What are you supposed to do? Make it a werewolf. Well, I then ask to flip okay yeah it's hard <laughs> it's go. true All they right. got turtles or something somewhere right they got a kraken in a second so. cemetery protector is just a, a creature turtle <laughs> that'd be it feels like it would be blue yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like the idea of a turtle protecting how about just citizen oh nice creature type citizen <laughs> there you like, go. we're not gonna have to be humans or soldiers <laughs> that's a bummer okay <laughs> Next up to green, and this one definitely is in contention with blue with the best of the cycle. It's Cemetery Prowler, one green green for a 3-4 wolf with vigilance. Whenever Cemetery Prowler enters the battlefield or attacks, exile a card from a graveyard. And spells you cast cost one generic mana less to cast for each card type they share with cards exiled with Cemetery Prowler. So you could get a creature, then you could get a sorcery, then you get an instant, and they kind of cost one less if they share a creature type. Or share a card type. Yeah, so this is a... I mean, I think this card's quite good. Uh, It's a ramp spell. It's Mm -hmm. going to ramp you for something. Now, if you cast it on turn three, you might not have a lot of choices, right? Right. uh, Of what is in there. So that's kind of the downside. Um, But it can attack and exile more things. So you can get to the point where, like, oh, my creatures and my enchantments and, you know, my sorceries all cost one less. And also it says for each card type they share with cards exiled with Cemetery Prowler. So there are cards that have double two types. Artifact creatures. Yeah, enchantment creatures. Oh, yeah. Those will actually get a reduction of two. Yep. So I think in decks that have a lot of that going on, this becomes quite a bit better because reducing the cost of things by two is a lot. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking at, if you've got like Dryad of the Elysian Grove, Oh yeah, that costs Ancient. one green at that point. Yeah. That's amazing. Solemn Simulacrum. Ooh. Ornithopter of Paradise is a card that's seeing a lot of play. To get to zero mana Ornithopters. Yeah. And also because those cards are in your deck, they might have been played and died, mm-hmm. in which case they can now be exiled by the Cemetery Prowler. And right. So I just think if that synergy is going on, if you look at your deck and you've got, I think it would have to be high. I think you'd have to be like 15 to 20 creatures that have two types then i think cemetery probably probably comes a little better yeah yeah 
So it, as typical, you know, green is focused on creatures for the most part, and blue is focused most on spells, instances, and sorceries. That seems like the most synergistic route to take with either of them. But it could be that you're exiling an instant with Cemetery Prowler. Yeah, in a, sem- in a, in a Simic deck that's like high on instants, maybe you run both of these prow- these Prowlers and you have a lot of instants and you go... Because instants get to your library pretty easy. Yeah. If you've, or sorry, to your graveyard. Because if you've got Opt or Impulse or something like that, you cast them early. Yeah. Then Cemetery Prowler can exile them. And now if you get either the blue... Or the green one. Or the green one, you're now really taking advantage of the synergy. So that, yeah. yeah. Not like Simic needed a lot of help, but th- those do seem like the best ones for that kind of setup. I like the talking about these cards in the uh, lens of, I'm a new player, I just went to go draft or play a pre-release, and I opened up one of these. Can I put it into a deck? If you've got the blue or the green one, heck yeah. I think the red one can go into most red decks too. It's not going to always be the best card, but it will do enough damage that it will be a worthy include in your deck. It will have efficiently dealt a lot of damage to your opponents if you get it out early in a game. Yeah. And if you don't, maybe you're just not casting it. Um, you know, because generally I'd say in commander games these days, you don't have trouble with cards and you don't play all the cards out of your hand in every game. So it's okay to have, you may, you maybe you thrill a possibility it away. So I think the red one is, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's, it's fine. Or your blood token in a way. Ah, blood. Yeah. <laughs> More tokens. Really good in limited blood is by the way. Oh, oh my gosh. It's crazy. I didn't realize sitting... how, how, how nuts it was going to be, but like you want every blood token maker you can get. Yeah. Because... You just sift through your limited deck. You, I've been always... running like 19 lands in a lot of decks. Because... <laughs> oh, because you just have so many blood tokens. Yeah. I have enough blood tokens. Ah. I can just guarantee I'm not mana screwed. And if I get too much land i can just get rid of them that's interesting yeah, yeah i've definitely seen a lot of limited games get turned around because of blood tokens yeah so. they're so good all right uh let's go into the cards by color here we're gonna go in wooberg order Ooh, um, this first one's pretty interesting jimmy yeah it is and it's gonna and we're gonna start with white and white gets some some actual tools here i'm pretty- white actually i think has more cards in it than like almost every other color combined pretty much which is kind of crazy yeah I'm glad. I hope we get this for a few sets in a row here. Maybe they'll start to catch up. Me too. All, All right. right. The first one is by invitation only, which Josh and I, by the way, were invited to an amazing <laughs> wedding. And so it didn't we're go so well if you didn't see game nights. Yeah, it didn't go so well. I, I love the comment. I was like, oh, that's so great. They're donating blood. <laughs> <laughs> How nice of them. All right. This is three white. I, white. I, somebody else said, uh, oh, Olivia's having them over for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. This is three white white for a sorcery. Choose a number between zero and 13. Each player sacrifices that many creatures. All right. So this is cool. This is a board white, basically. 13, (laughs) very few games I play, someone has over 13 creatures on the board. Yeah. And also, if you're in white, you're often the player that has the more creatures. Yeah. And one of the downsides of playing white decks, go wide decks, is if you need to board wipe because that's the only way to get rid of Narset or something, it sucks because you're like, but I have... 15 things out but i'm still gonna die to the two things they've got yeah and none of my one ones can get through so yeah. what's the point but this card actually solves that problem too where you go well i'm gonna choose the number three so yeah. i'm gonna still have 12 things afterwards i sack three of my one ones you get rid of three actual creatures you get rid of, yeah your best stuff narset goes you know and boom you can sort of make it more or less one-sided yeah and I always talk about Marshall Koo is one of my favorite board wipes in white because it creates tokens after a board wipes the board. So by invitation only, I think, is actually a really great card. You can specifically tailor it to whatever the board state is at. Even if it's like a really dire situation, making people sacrifice creatures gets around indestructible, hexproof, all that stuff. Yeah, I think that part of it's really big. If it destroyed all the other the creatures, it would not be as good because it's sacrifice. Yeah. It gets around a lot of protection. Yeah, and sometimes you can do this for just two and, like, really get the board. Sometimes you'll need to do it for seven. And it's okay that you lose your board, but, you know, it's a board wipe that gets around, again, those indestructible creatures and the ones that would get, you know, have protection from white for targeted removal. 
So speaking of sacrifice, it is really good with it that betrayed. <laughs> you just get all the stuff that they lose. Uh, and it's also, of course, really good with Turgrid, who oh, does not gosh. need any help. But this can't go in a Turgrid deck. They yeah. would, hope to be, they would be both have to be in the 9 yeah. yeah. Well, it that betrays can, but uh, Turgrid definitely not. Right. So I actually like this quite a bit. I think White has had, they have tons of board wipes at four. That's their traditional like number for Wrath of God and all that. But we've seen it climbing up to five for sort of different-esque effects. And by invitation only might be my favorite White version of a board wipe since Doomscar. All right. The next one is Faithbound Judge. It is one white white for a 4-4 spirit soldier with flying defender and vigilance. It's Murph. <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning of your upkeep, if it, uh, Faithbound Judge has two or fewer judgment counters on it, put a judgment counter on it. As long as Faithbound Judge has three or more judgment counters on it, it can attack as though it didn't have defender. Hmm. So you put it out and on your upkeep, it slowly gets counters until it has three and once it has three then it's a four four flying vigilance and can attack and block or sorry defender you can always block yeah attack yeah, attack, yeah. yeah. uh well, three mana four four flying vigilance is fine but i don't think we would normally play that however this has disturbed for five white white so seven mana if it has gotten into your graveyard somehow you can put it onto the battlefield transformed and it is an enchantment or a curse called sinner's judgment hmm. it, it has enchant player so it's an it's a curse at the beginning of your upkeep put a judgment counter on sinner's judgment then if there are three or more judgment counters on it, Enchanted Player loses the game. Uh, if Sinner's Judgment would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. So uh, you can't recur this and get somebody <laughs> again. But Seven mana. It has to have beyond a creature that has to have died. So like yeah. there's hoops to jump through. And then it's three turns once you put it on somebody. I feel like White has this quite a bit with like Overwhelming Splendor and cards that are just like seven mana. They should probably lose the game at this point. Um, and Sinner's Judgment is that. It does need to get up to three counters, but this is a win-the-game thing. It's an interesting design. I well, think not the f- win the game. It's kill oh, a sorry, player. Kill a player. Yeah. In a lot of ways, that kind of is winning the game because <laughs> you get to do something that is really sad text on the Magic card, which is player loses the game. I think it's cool design. It's I, I like what you said there where there's many ways White has once you get to like seven mana to kind of do a thing like this, which is like not quite win the game, but... yeah. Elish Norn. Do something very powerful that will likely win you the game. Yeah. I think this gets better if you can uh, proliferate it, you know, Lithoform oh, yeah. because then it becomes like a, a, a two-turn clock, basically. Yeah, Shrank Resonator and Lithoform Engine both are ways to increase the counters on this. I think there's some um, value also to a three-mana 4-4 four, four flying blocker. Yeah. If you play that, like, they do not want to attack you because, A, they don't want it to die. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah, because it'll come back. Yeah, and you could just say, hey... If I have to block and this dies, I'm I'm enchanting you. Mm-hmm. So don't come at me. So it's, it, gonna, it's yeah. really going to thwart attacks at you. Yeah, and it gets better. As soon as it gets three, now it can attack. It has vigilance, so it always is a good defender. That's kind of cool, actually. Even if it, if, even if, if it can attack, it's still a great defender because it has vigilance. So that's a fun design. Yeah, so that's the thing Overwhelming Splendor and things like that do not have, right? There's no three-mana mode on those cards. Yeah. So when you get them early, they do nothing until you can do it. This does something early, and that something is actually pretty good. So I think this card it's gonna be fun i don't think it's super super powerful mm-hmm. but it's the type of card where like it does something for you and then you could put it on that arch enemy player and <laughs> just like hang on or maybe i can like proliferate the counter somehow and, and get them right away and you're not the only player that has to have proliferate you can have someone else proliferate the counters for you if you're you know attracts a opponent or whatever um if you're in the defender deck then arcade is the strategist this is i think a really easy addition to that yeah. deck just because it's now a three mana four four and it's also an alternate win condition okay Next up in white, we have Hallowed Haunting. It's two white white for an enchantment. As long as you control seven or more enchantments, creatures you control have flying and vigilance. 
Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, create a white spirit cleric creature token with this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of spirits you control. Oh, I was expecting to say enchantments. I was too. And <laughs> it's very interesting. This is definitely like really, I think, leaning heavily into the, the Innistrad theme of spirits are an important uh, tribe in this set. Well, I think it's a way to kind of keep it reasonable because if you already have, like if you play this in an enchantment deck, I think it would be way too powerful to oh, create yeah. a fly. It's going to create a flying vigilant thing basically. Create an enchantment make a 14-14. Yeah, that, that seems a little too good so they're like listen you have to play a bunch of enchantments but if you do and enchantment decks do play a lot of enchantments and generally the problem they have is not playing enchantments or getting enough enchantments out it's winning somehow from that yeah so the fact that like this is a decent finisher i think is like you play this you play like four or five enchantments now you've got four or five four fives mm-hmm. and now they'll probably have flying because you played four or five enchantments and this can be a finisher in the enchantment decks which frankly i think is good because Boy, playing against the decks can be a slog where you're like, yep, you have it locked off, but how Congrats. are yeah, how are we going to lose? Like, You've you drawn just, 20 you, cards. Yeah. Oh, yep, we can't attack you, and you can destroy anything we do, but how are we dying? Yeah. The nice thing about Howl Haunting is it gives the creatures flying and vigilance. So if you just have regular creatures in your deck, those also get it. It's not just the sort of tokens you make. But you need seven or more enchantments for it to give them the flying and vigilance. Yeah. So it's hard to have a deck that has a lot of creatures and has enough enchantments that it's going to give you that. So I don't. I think this probably only goes in enchantment decks, right? Yeah, I think so. Or maybe a spirit deck, but you need to have a ton of enchantments in the spirit deck. So I feel like it's mostly enchantments. There is sort of like that white blue auras deck we were kind of toying around with because there are a lot of flyers and stuff, and those are good places for auras. But this is definitely screaming like put this in the Sithis Tuvasa deck and the one with Starfield of Nyx. So you just have tons of things that can swing and kill people. All right, the next card, best white card in a while. In a while since since was Smothering Tithe before to well, what's Archaeomancer's map? Tefero's Protection are. Uh, Smothering Tithe, Archaeomancer's Map are the three real breakouts. And then you kind of have the creatures that like... This is probably the best one since those three cards. This is the best creature since Mangara for sure. Okay, let's read it. Welcoming Vampire. Two and a white for a 2-3 flying vampire. Whenever one or more other creatures with power two or less enter the battlefield under your control, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. White card draw say it with me white, white card, card draw, draw with pretty, conditions <laughs> with but with no cost yeah no cost mentor of the meek by the way is the most comparable mentor of the week more like uh <laughs> it's still good <laughs> it's still yeah it's still good because it's like one of the only options that white has but you have to pay a mana every single time you cast or get a creature on the battlefield so what i do like about this is that it's once each turn yep that's fine because white has tons of ways to instant speed and make tokens and, and it doesn't care about non-token either. Yep. So this is just, and by the way, it's a three mana, two, three flyer. That's just a good creature. It's a vampire fits in those decks as well. Edgar Markov. Ah, well, and, you know, you have to put it in a specific deck, but white decks do tend to not have a problem having a lot of ways to make two power or less creatures. Oh yeah. Uh, and then you can compare it to like Frexian arena or something, right? It doesn't, I know that it, Limiting it to one per turn makes it feel less powerful, and obviously it is, but I think it would be crazy if it was like... As many times as you want, yeah. Yeah, because it's too breakable, so I understand why they did it. Maybe there's like a strive, like in an alternate world, it's like each time you do this beyond the first, you have to pay one mana or something, but this is still very good. If white just got one extra card a turn, like you said, compared to Frexian Arena, I'm I'm in for it. It's pretty good. They don't have that right now, and this is actually slightly better than that because of the fact that, like you said, if you cast Raise the Alarm on another player's turn, that... It is a different turn than yours, so you can draw mm. cards again. So you can turn a lot of your instant speed. You know, they've got creatures with a flash and things like that. Mm. Uh, creatures into more card draw. Yeah, this card is going to go in a lot of white decks. I think 
it's probably not it's not better than smothering tithe and it's probably but it's up there with our Answers map i'd say about yeah. that level of interference protection and smothering tithe are on a different level and this is right below that as a which I think is good. I don't think we want too many more cards that are that good. Yeah. We don't need a lot of Psychonic Rift level, level powerful cards. We want more Cultivate level powerful cards. And this feels like it's in that range. Yeah, it's like a B plus, A minus. And that's um, really what white needs. I feel like they just need like 10 more cards in this power range. And then they'll be up there with the other colors. Yeah, so they don't have to just solely depend on no matter what. If you play white, you have to have Teferi's Protection. You have to have Smothering Tithe. Now it's like, cool. Now you have some more options for card draw and mono white decks. Um, because you can play raise the alarm with this. This turns raise the alarm into a cantrip. You make two one one white soldier creature tokens at instant speed. There are there are turns you can make with this card where you can draw three cards by the time it gets back to you, which is kind of cool. Because you have raise the alarm, you have like Thraben Standard Bearer, which turns into a rummaging card, and then you know call the Carpet Codes, hear the weights. These are all ways to make one ones on other players' turns. So. Yeah, white doesn't really have that much of a problem is since, since it allows tokens. Yeah. to create uh, a you know two power less creatures on other players turn yep so and then if you're in like that just that mono white aggro deck you can play hero of blade hold and then leonin war leader and now all of those little guys that come in give you card draw pretty pretty cool pretty good all right the next one is called a breath keeper seraph mm, this one is a spicy one four white white for a four four flying soulbound. Soulbound means you may pair this creature with another unpaired creature when either enters the battlefield. They remain paired for as long as you control both of them. That means if you have another creature out, you can play this and then pair it with the creature you have out. Or you can mm -hmm. play this and then play another creature and pair it with the creature that just came in. And then play another creature and then pair it with that one because it's unpaired. Yeah, you can. Um, okay. As long as Breathkeeper Seraph is paired with another creature... Each of those creatures has, when this creature dies, you may return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of your next upkeep. So the way this works is, if somebody wraths, both creatures will die. They both will say, oh, we'll come I'm back. full bound when I died, so we're going to come back. And so they'll both come back. It gives Boardwife protection to something and the Seraph. It also gives removal protection to the other thing. Mm -hmm. So let's say... The most common usage of this is almost certainly going to be commanders. So you play this, you name, you soulbind it with your commander. Somebody removes your commander, and then Breathkeeper Seraph brings it back. At the beginning of the next upkeep. Right. So the only way to kind of break this loop is to kill the thing. With the soulbound trigger on the stack. Well, you can do that. Okay, so this is the Deadeye Navigator trick that everyone learned a, a yeah. while ago, which is like... This enters the battlefield, the soulbound trigger goes on the stack, they target that thing, and you go kill the thing in response so it's never been soulbound. The other way to do it is kill Breathkeeper Seraph, it dies, it's going to come back because it was soulbound, but then you kill the commander. Right, because it's no longer soulbound. Right, exactly. And so you could get rid of something, <clears throat> but then Breathkeeper Seraph is going to come back. Um, it might not have anything to pair with, or it might just pair with something else, but yeah. it, that's sort of a way out from under this little loop. If you have a sack outlet, very good, because they target your Breathkeeper Seraph. You just sack the thing that it's soulbound with, so it does see that when it leaves the battlefield. It's very similar text to Gift or, of Immortality, but I think this is like just great in a Kali of the Vast deck, because Kali can cheat this out when she attacks. You get the angel on the battlefield. It's soulbound immediately with Kali, and now you have this protection for the most remove on site commander You know, still in the game. The most in the game. I don't know if I agree with that part of it. That sounds like hyperbole. Sounds like that yeah, was like five good. years ago it's, I said it's that. It's good in Kalia, but I think in general, I would just play Gift of Immortality over it in most decks because it's it's a enchantments are hard to get rid of. It's a similar mm. effect. Uh, and that's way less mana. This is a six mana thing. And, and white actually is quite good at protecting its stuff. I don't know that a six mana spell is really where I want to be at for that protection. It is cool though that white is getting more reanimator effects. And we'll see that with the next card we talk about. But like what this seems like 
if it kind of makes sense like color pie ish to me at least like they've oh white, done it a bring bit, it yeah. back to life and they've had this before but if we're seeing more and more of this this is also a world of card value and all that stuff that white is slowly drawing into i think the next card is super interesting uh, yeah it, it seems like pretty like on the surface but then when you start delving into it it's like oh wait no there's i think there's a lot you can do with yeah it. this thing's a hammer okay it is storm of souls Four white, white, so six mana still. For a sorcery, return all creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Woo. Each of them is a 1-1 one, one spirit with flying in addition to its other types. And then you exile Storm of Souls. Cool. So when I first read this, I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, you just get all your ETBs again. And that seems you know fairly powerful. You would have to have a decent amount of stuff in your graveyard for this to be good. Probably like three or more things will, yeah. will get it done. Um, as long as they all have ETBs. And you're only going to play this in a deck that has mostly all your creatures have ETBs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, okay, six mana. I mean, compare it to Command the Dreadhorde. And uh, it seems not as good. Um, and I do think it is not as good. But then you kind of look at the card again and it doesn't do this in the way that cards like this normally do this thing right yeah so the creature cards are the original cards they're not token copies they just happen to have amended stats to be a one one spirit in addition to everything else which i think is actually kind of huge normally you would say exile all the cards from your graveyards create one one token copies of them that are spirits and put those mm -hmm. on the battlefield you know so you'd be like okay we get token copies of everything this is like no the physical card actually comes onto the battlefield and just is a one one spirit yeah but it has all the other text that it has, which opens us up to a bunch of ways to kind of, you know, to use this, I guess. Yeah, the big one is, look, white is the flicker color. So we have Ephemerate, Eerie Interlude. These are all cards that take a creature, send them away, and then bring them back. And in this case, they're not going to be the same versions that Storm of Souls brought back. You can, you can sort of like reset them back to their original form and get another ETB trigger. Yeah, I mean, Eerie Interlude will do all your creatures. Yeah. So you go Storm of Swords, get five creatures back. And then everyone's like, okay, fine, but they're 1-1 one, one spirits. And you go, Eerie Interlude, get all the ETBs again, plus they just all became their regular size again. Or yeah. uh, semesters I like Semesters end. end. I love the flavor on Semesters End. Semesters over, all the, all the yeah, students right? go away and they come back and they're rejuvenated now. Yeah, they're a little bit bigger. Um, also... And the Planeswalkers, too. Yeah. Um, Although it does, that doesn't care about Storm of Souls. Uh, even better, though, than those, because they're both instants, which I think are good, and good cards to have in decks because they just kind of dodge board wipes and do yeah. other things. Um if you can get this effect on a creature, which means if you've got a glorious protector or a lumbering battlement in your graveyard, mm -hmm. the Storm of Souls will bring that back. And if you have a sack outlet, because these, well... Lumbering, lumbering needs it, but Glorious Protector just does it. So Glorious Protector is when it, uh, it enters the battlefield, you may exile any number of non-angel creatures you control until Glorious Protector leaves the battlefield. So you need the sack outlet. Oh, you're right. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. And same with Lumbering Protector. Yeah, and Lumbering Battlement. 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 Yeah. Exiles any number of other non-token creatures you control until it leaves the battlefield. And so you could say, oh, I've got, you know, four creatures in there, but one of them's Glorious Protector. If you have a sack outlet, you go play Storm of Souls. They come in, you get the ETBs, then you sack. Then Glorious Protector says, okay, now exile all those spirits that just came in because they're not angels. Mm -hmm. And then you go, oh, sack the... Uh, glorious, glorious protector, protector and, and the they four come things come back as their regular self you get the etbs again yeah you get two etbs there you get all the full creatures back there's a lot of combo potential when it gets into it uh planar guide is another one that can kind of do this it oh is, yeah it's one white mana for a creature you pay for and you exile it and remove all creatures from the game this is all this is your opponents too and return um at them back to play at the end of turn so 
that's just another way. I like when it's on the creature because the Storm of Souls just gets it back. So you just mm-hmm. play these things out early, whatever they die, you know, or you mill them in some way or something like that. And then you get that graveyard nice and full and you go, boom, get all my ATBs, boom, get them again. And man, that could just win the game in a lot of cases. Yeah, if you're especially playing cards that like, I mean, look, you don't need to be mono white for this card to be good, obviously. And we named a lot of mono white cards, but you have access to all the colors of magic. So this could be just like your ETB tribal get everything back, flicker it, protect it. You know, you're really resilient against board wipes, all that good stuff. So this is sort of the kind of deck I think is just like a value train, just just trying to lawnmower over your opponents over the long term. Yeah, and there's Micaeus yeah. is so good, right? If it's in the graveyard, Storm of Souls brings it back with everything else. Now all your stuff has Undying because they're all spirits and you just sack them. Yep. Get, they come back with their Undying. Now they're plus ones and they will come back as their regular self, right? Because they died, went to the graveyard, had Undying, came back, came but back, they're not yeah. spirits anymore because they've forgotten that part of it. Yeah. Storm of Souls does add this spirit in addition to its other types. So Macias only works if they weren't human in the first place, but it's still obviously very powerful just to keep getting oh, it back. Oh, it's an addition. Oh, okay, in addition, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. And then um, you've got Fury Storm too. If you cast Fury Storm with uh, Storm of Souls, you're going to be able to copy that spell like two times maybe and then you're just doing this whole thing where you're just on the battlefield in the graveyard on the battlefield in the graveyard and with a sack out with a Micaeus, you will find a way to kill everyone maybe with impact tremors you know stuff like that even just i think like acidic slime on reclamation sage would oh, do no. so much work <laughs> in that case because it's like yeah think about that storm of souls copy it twice so i've got three storm of souls on the sack the first one resolves brings back my stuff with my glorious protector so i get two etbs of everything mm-hmm. sack it all again before the second one resolves do that again do that again six etbs on all my stuff and that's yeah. like a mild what if you what if you copy it three times what if you have you know Micaeus also in addition to the glorious protector oh you know like yeah this seems like it would be fun now i don't think it's insanely powerful because of how many cards we're talking about and how much mana this would cost but one thing i'll say about fury storm and storm of souls is if you have ashnod's altar out oh you get you the mana s- yeah you say i have three creatures sack them for six of that mana storm of souls fury storm doesn't look as crazy yeah. anymore yeah. and Phyrexian for sure yeah and then you have like academy rector and stuff too that have dies triggers and oh, oh my gosh you're in business yeah I think this card is quite powerful in the right tech, so it's, it's going to do some cool stuff. Yeah, it does cost six mana, so it's going to probably be outside of like that really competitive range, but I think this is one of those like turns you... You can already see it happening on an, an, episode, an episode of Game Nights where all, we're all going like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> so. <laughs> all right. Uh, there is still one more white card left, surprisingly. We've talked about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six, seven. seven, counting the cemetery. Yeah. And this is the eighth? Wow. This is probably Pretty the good. most white cards we've ever talked about on a set review. <laughs> yeah, because white's just the best color. All right. Uh, <laughs> it is Wedding Ring. <laughs> Two white, 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 for an artifact. When Wedding Ring enters the battlefield, if it was cast, target opponent creates a token that's a copy of it. Whenever an opponent who controls an artifact named Wedding Ring draws a card during their turn, you draw a card. Whenever an opponent who controls an artifact named Wedding Ring when named Wedding Ring gains life during your, their turn, you gain that much life. So this is like symmetrical. I'm married to you. If you get a card, I get a card. If I get a card, you get a card. If you gain life, I gain life. Yeah, pretty interesting. The the good thing is that you get to pick which player it goes on. So mm-hmm. of course you're going to pick the player that's likely to draw the most cards, the blue player. Yep. Uh, so you're also in a white deck. You're likely to be the 
player with the least amount of card draw, so you'll be <laughs> helping them less than they're helping you most of the time. Yeah. If you have a deck that already has a lot of card draw, you just don't put Wedding Ring in there. Yeah, yeah. Now, keep in mind, you are helping them because it's symmetrical. If you have a Wedding Ring and they have a Wedding Ring, those Wedding Rings see each other, and so when you draw a card, they're going to draw a card, and I think that's the only downside about this, because it also is four mana, again, just that really busy I wish it was three. I wish it was three, too. Maybe that would have been a little too pushed, and then... But either way, this is a really interesting design, because... This is the sort of thing, too, that like almost creates an instant alliance between you and another player. If that player has a Consecrated Sphinx out, then you are in business. You could propose an alliance? Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Actually, I think Wedding Ring, that is the perfect way. You're like, I would like to propose an alliance. <laughs> uh, it is interesting because if somebody removes one of them, the other one becomes useless. Right. Right? It, it won't still do the thing if they're, it doesn't have a matching pair on, on another player. Um, so that's something to watch out for. It does not take two removal spells mm-hmm. to get rid of it. It just takes one. And the other two players are going to be heavily incentivized to remove a thing because it's not... It's not just a thing that's helping one player. It's a thing that's helping two players. Right. So I can see people wanting to get rid of it. Could you Mirage Mirror this thing? If I was a player that didn't have the Wedding Ring that wanted to get in on the action. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you definitely can. And the, the, Mirage Mirror is actually really good against this because you would never give anything to anyone. You would only get stuff because you'd say, oh, on your upkeep, I'll turn my Mirage Mirror into a Wedding Ring. Right. You, you'd go to draw your card and I draw a card off of it. Yeah. And during my upkeep, I don't turn my Mirage Weir- Mirror into, mirror into a Wedding Ring. So you ring. don't get, so you get it the other way. Yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. I, I do think cloning is interesting. Like if you have sculpting, skill, sculpting steel. steel or... Uh, copy artifact something like that yeah because wedding ring says when it enters the battlefield if it was cast target opponent creates a token that's a copy of it oh. so sculpting steel i don't think would um make you make a copy of it you just or sorry make your opponent, opponent make make a copy. Copy of it. you just make your own copy so now when they draw a card you get to draw two cards right yeah so whatever cool. yeah so i don't know it's it's fringe i think people are really excited about this card it's not as good as the excitement warrants or or it's not yeah it's not as good as the excitement demands that, that feels demands yeah? yeah i don't know in My, indicates implies <laughs> sure there i like that i sure. like those last two <laughs> <laughs> uh but it's still interesting i think it will create some some fun situations yeah and again this is just it's it feels like a card that will see play in the mono white deck and maybe see play in like the white other colored deck white red or something um but i would not build around it that's for sure i would not like put your sculpting seals and copy artifact type cards in your deck just because you have a wedding ring yeah i think you're right you want to already have those cards in a deck and now you might consider putting wedding ring in because those are good with it although those decks usually have blue yeah and if you have blue you do not need a wedding ring in your deck jeez just a lonely life out there for blue players. <laughs> All those cards. Ooh, abadee, abadee. Abadee. Okay. All right. Well, that does it for white cards. Wraps it up. My goodness. So many interesting options. Really, the welcoming vampire is the big one. And, yeah, and, for and, sure. and then there Storm are some other good ones, good but too. yeah, yeah. Nothing else that I think is sort of quite a staple. All right. Blue. Only two cards to talk about blue, but I think they're both quite good. <laughs> this first one is nuts. <laughs> this first one's a little nuts. It's a uh, hole breaker horror. It's five blue blue for a seven eight Kraken Horror, has flash, and this spell can't be countered. Uh. So seven mana, it's gonna happen. It's coming out. Uh, whenever you cast a spell, choose up to one. You can either return target spell you don't control to its owner's hand. Okay. Or you can return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. So oh. whenever you cast a spell. Any spell. You get to effectively counter a spell. If it's an instant speed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Similar to what uh, what's his name does. It um, has to be an instant speed, yeah. If you're returning target spell, right? Because yeah. there would have to be a spell in the stack. Uh, Venzer. Venzer, yeah. Shaper spell. Yeah. Or you just get to bounce a non land permanent. Uh, 
the big comparison or analog to this that everyone's comparing it to is Tide Spout Tyrant. So I'm going to read that just because we're probably going to talk about both a lot. Mm-hmm. Tide Spout Tyrant is five blue, blue, blue. So eight mana rather than seven for the Holebreaker Horror. It's a five, five flyer, a djinn. And it says, whenever you cast a spell, return target permanent to its owner's hand. So that can be lands, which is a little better than non-land permanent. But yeah, if you go in, go infinite with the amount of spells you can cast, Tide Spout Tyrant effectively wins you the game because you bounce all of their permanents, including their lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Holebreaker Horror is a cyclonic rift when you do that because right. it bounces all their stuff, but they cannot bounce lands. So uh, cyclonic rift is very good, but it's not good as as good as insta winning. Yeah, and that's why I think a lot of CDH players are saying that Tide Spout Tyrant is still better, but Holebreaker is close enough that you might run both. Yeah, and the thing about Tide Spout Tyrant, it doesn't have flash, it can be countered, and it costs 8 mana. So if you're just paying 8 mana, chances are you're not going to cast a spell that turn in addition to Tide Spout Tyrant to then do the effect. But Whereas Holebreaker Horror End Step, this thing comes out, pops out of the water, you're terrified. Everything you have now in your hand has massive potential to start really disrupting things. And if you have a lot of instants, it protects itself quite well. Mm-hmm. Because anything they go to remove it with, you can bounce that spell back to their hand. Yeah. Um, now they can try and cast the thing again, but still... That's like a time walk for people just to slow them down that much. Yeah, so it 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 is better on some uh, axis, and I think that makes it quite a bit better in like casual circles where mm-hmm. you're not probably going to combo off with it every time like Tide Spout generally does. Yeah. Tide Spout probably doesn't see as much play in casual as competitive just because... They have ways to cheat it out, and that's, combo, their, yeah. that's their combo win, yeah. Yeah. So, Holebreaker Horror, um, it, we should talk about an infinite combo that both of these do that a lot of people use when they play these cards, just so you know about it, because if you see a Holebreaker Horror, there's a chance they're going to do this, which is you play any two artifacts that are mana positive. So, so, artifacts that create more mana than they cost to cast, or any zero mana artifacts could be in there with one of these. So, right. the classic is like Soul Ring and Mana Crypt. Mm-hmm. Expensive cards, but just extrapolate. It can be a lot of different things. If you play Soul Ring... You're gonna. It's a spell that you that you cast, so you can uh, return target non-land permit to its owner's hand. Now, Soul Ring can't return itself because it's on cast. Mm-hmm. So it you cast it, you bounce an opponent's thing, then it enters the battlefield. You tap it. You've got two mana floating. Now you play Mana Crypt, which is zero mana, and cast that's a spell. A, that's a spell you cast, and you bounce the Soul Ring back to your hand. Now you tap the Mana Crypt. Now you've got four mana. What do you do with that four mana? Well, with one of it, you play the Soul Ring. Bounce the, the Mana Crypt. And now you see you've created infinite mana. And with infinite mana, you can generally cast a lot of spells. So you're definitely going to bounce everybody's things and probably also simultaneously win in another way because infinite mana tends to do that. Yeah, you'll just bounce everything with your soaring mana crypt combo or the mana vault or whatever it is. And then blammo, everyone's got their stuff bounced. You now have infinite mana. You can just cast everything out of your hand, maybe even your deck. And you are on your way to hopefully winning that game before everyone gets too mad at you. And it's really going to be hard for them to stop you too because with infinite mana and this going on and the ability to bounce their spells spells when they cast them mm-hmm. how are they going to stop you it's going to be very hard yeah great with the vidal knori leyline of anticipation yep. blue has access to all of those things and all your cards have flash and now you're just sitting around just boop, 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 boop. i do want to say that i'm going to put this in my orvar deck oh gosh think of how good this is in the orvar deck it's absurd yeah you go to ta- to copy it or you know to target it with something that gives it hexproof or whatever you make two of them so then the next thing you cast bounces two things yeah and makes another one yeah and the next thing you cast bounces three things and makes another one yeah. and that makes it nearly impossible for them to ever stop you because you could just bounce every spell back to their hand yeah. orvar sounds like a lot of fun 
Just sounds like a blast. Sounds like a, wow, can't wait to do that again around the table. <laughs> I will say that we recorded an episode of Extra Turns where I play my Orvar deck, uh, but it was before Holebreaker Horror existed, so yeah. it won't be in there yet in that episode. So, you know, but maybe the other players right. have a chance. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. You, you only wait to find out <laughs> by watching it. Yeah, it's going to be, I think that's the December episode. Uh, oh, very cool. Yeah. Okay, we have one more card in blue, and this one is very interesting. It's an uncommon. It's called Wash Away. Just costs one blue mana for an instant, and it has Cleave. So Cleave is a new ability in this set. Uh, basically, there are brackets around certain words in a spell, and if you pl- play the alternate cost for the Cleave's cost, then you get rid of those words. Like Asmarana Marty Kadized in a Kolda card. So the cleave cost on wash away is one blue blue and wash away is just one blue. So if you just cast it for one blue, it says counter target spell that wasn't cast from its owner's hand. If you pay one blue blue, it just says counter target spell. So this is a counter spell for three mana, like cancel any of those types of spells, but it has the, the main way you cast it is blue to counter target spell that wasn't cast from its owner's hand. We're in this interesting, strange format where we cast one spell almost every game or maybe even two spells out of our, command zone not our hand yeah every player is going to has a very important spell that we know they want to cast that does not come from their hand this also stops like you know flashback and a lot of other yeah from the great from library yeah yeah casting directly from library and things like that um we're also in a format that increasingly has extremely powerful commanders that you need to stop and doing it for one mana is extremely powerful i actually think wash away is a card i'm gonna play a lot I don't wouldn't be surprised if this was not like just a staple in CDH too because you like Swan Song Swan Song a, a bunch. Lot, yeah, CDH plays lots of those really cheap counter spells because it's easy to hold and, just up one mana. So and this stops their plan because their plan is almost always predicated around their commander. So you have mm-hmm. and the fact that it has a cleave cost means if you missed your window, you drew it later. The thing's already out or whatever. It still has usefulness. Yeah, it's just a regular counter spell. Yeah, at that point, yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of commanders now, like Corvolds and things like Multrothas, where you're mm-hmm. just like, I need to deal with that thing right away. And stop it right now, yeah. Yeah, and just a lot of times killing it the first time you see it or countering it the first time you see it will allow you to have a chance in a game that you would otherwise not have a chance. And Wash Away gives you that. Um, it's a little mean, I won't, I won't lie. I don't yeah. think it's mean to the level of, you know opposition agent or jeweled lotus <laughs> or some other things we we haven't loved i think this is mean on a level that i think is still playable and casual because if you have a really powerful commander that i need to to um stop from coming out stop from coming out for one mana then i mean that's so efficient and i didn't hey you can still cast corval I, di- I didn't cost you the card it just costs seven now you know i just all i did was trip you up mm-hmm. so it's not like i totally hosed you so i think this is hopeful, you, hopefully meets the rule zero conversation as far as still casual but i think, I think so yeah you also get a great mana advantage out of it for one mana you counter their five mana spell seven mana spell whatever it is and They're so many times set. oh it was feels so good even just the sovala you know yeah sovala is such a pain in the butt because she's going to come out so early that you don't want to waste your early turn like getting rid of it but if you just like play you know your felwar stone and they go to cast sovala and you're like counter it and it's like sweet Yes, you're going to cast it in a turn or two, but you're going to be a turn or two behind, and now I have a chance. And that's all I needed as well yeah. to make sure I wasn't going to die this game. So yeah. I like this card a lot. Pretty cool. It might be the best um, or the most staply card in the whole thing, regardless of rarity. Very efficient. One mana. Welcoming Vampire, maybe, as And not most powerful, because there are definitely higher-end powerful cards in the set, but yeah, as far as... talked about one called yeah. Holebreaker Horror. But going into the most decks, there's this, there's a red one, and there's Welcoming Vampire. Yep. Okay. 
we've got still black, red, green, multicolored. multicolored, all kinds of stuff to go. So don't go anywhere, but we are going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the Command Zone Podcast. We're talking about Crimson Vow in the 99. We have black, red, green, multicolored, and colorless cards to cover. So let's get right into it. We only have one black card, amazingly. Um, big fan of this art. The uh, art is really cool. I believe this art has no relation to Rebecca Guay. Oh, really? Just happens to... Happens to have the same last name. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, don't tell me. To the Sorry. black Sorry. for a sorcery. <laughs> Sorry. To... But this card is called Demonic Bargain. Amazing art. Two in the black for a sorcery. Exile the top 13 cards of your library, then search your library for a card. Put that card into your hand, then shuffle. Definitely quite the bargain there. So it's three mana, so it harkens to Grim Tutor. Yep. Grim Tutor does a little damage to you and, co- and costs two black, so this is technically better, except for that little clause that says, <laughs> exile the top 13 cards of your library. Obviously, I think that's there because it's put potential to like exile the card you would be looking for yeah that's part of the bargain you got um, like a one in five chance or one in six chance of that getting like rid of it yeah of getting rid of that important combo piece you want to tutor for it's interesting because i feel like upon reading this you're like oh cool exile maybe there's a way that you know a combo deck would really like this because they don't care about things going to exile and it's like actually they need combo pieces mm-hmm. so if they don't have that and you're trying to play this as early as turn two or even turn one with like a dark ritual then you might not want to do this so this feels like just a very budget and less competitive version of grim tutor to me yeah but i think there's a lot of decks that they don't they're not trying to combo off they just have a a, you know 99 cards that are you know 
relatively yeah. equal as far as like if I drew this card or that card, most of my cards are good. There's, you know, there's some cards mm -hmm. I obviously in different situations want more, but in general, if 13 cards get exiled, my duck, my deck can still win in the same way that it was trying to. It just yeah. still has synergy pieces and whatever. And in those decks, this is, yeah, like you said, it's a better, cheaper Grim Tutor. Um, and that can be good. But I think, you know, when you're in dedicated combo decks or things where there's sp specific things in your deck that you do not want to be in exile, yeah, you then you can't really be playing this. Yeah, you can't really. Although there are combo decks that actually specifically want certain things in exile. Yep. So you got Eternal Scourge, Squeezy, Mortal, Miss Holographic. These are all cards that can get cast from exile. And then with Food Chain, you have a way to like sort of go nuts. Um, but you need to have Food Chain in your hand before you cast That's a good point. <laughs> or on the battlefield. <laughs> So if you draw this... Well, you don't ever cast Food Chain until you're about to combo off anyway. Yeah, it's yeah, be yeah. In your hand. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. You can't cast this to go look for Food Chain. I mean, maybe you do and just be like, if, it happens, if I don't it combo off now, I'll probably lose, so I'm just going to go for it. And if it's in the top 13, then whatever. But you could get really lucky where you go find the Food Chain and this exiled your Mist Hollow Griffin or whatever. True. Truly a demonic bargain indeed. So there are some usages for combo decks, I suppose. But in general, I think a lot of my decks would be fine with the fact that like, whatever... You know, if I exile the top 13 cards in my library, it, it, whatever I lost there, I still have good cards in my deck. It's fine. Yeah. Typically, the the mantra behind like, oh, you milled something, it's in your graveyard now, is just imagine those cards were at the bottom of your library. But it's a little different for this because you are tutoring through the rest of your library. So you're actually just rolling the dice a bit and you're saying 13 cards, let's just hope the thing I need isn't going to be in those 13. But again, it's a great sort of like budget tutor, I think, for a lot of people that don't want to buy Demonic Tutor or whatever else. Demonic Bargain is going to be a great like best in slot in until you get something else in there. All right. That was it. That was our only black card. We are going to move on to red cards now. Hooray. Hooray. The first one is called a change of fortune. Oh, I wonder if it has anything to do with fortune. It has something to do with wheels of fortune. It's three and a red for a sorcery. Discard your hand, then draw a card for each card you've discarded this turn. So huh. sort of a self wheel. Um, four mana, not three. And... Wheel of Fortune draws a specific amount, up to seven. And for everyone. Yeah, so you'll actually... This is card disadvantage because you will use this card... Go from six cards to five cards in your hand. And then you'll discard the five cards and draw five more. Yeah. So you will actually lose a card in that bargain. That part's kind of bad. Um, but Faithless Looting and Thrill Possibility kind of live in that same world. Um, and this card is very good with those in the same turn. You Faithless Looting, discard two cards, yes. and then all of a sudden you're discarding, you know, you've discarded two other cards this turn to draw with Change of Fortune. Yeah, if you Wheel of Fortune into this, then you'll, let's say, you, you know, you'll have 14 cards at the end of that. Yeah. Obviously, uh, you'll have to discard down, but... And pay a lot of mana. If you have... Uh, this is obviously good in decks that are going to discard a bunch of cards. Because mm -hmm. discard, 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 play this boom get it all back you know riel and stuff like that are kind of obvious i think yeah so i think this is like it's it's a cool looking card but i don't think we have to talk too much about it because there are a lot of decks that like discarding you're gonna probably think about playing this card in those decks and it is a one-sided wheel in that way so that can actually be a good thing yeah locust god and stuff like that you know self wheel anything that wants a wheel if it wants a wheel for yourself we'll consider this card yeah so look at throw possibility faithless looting all those cards if you're just trying to sort of get through your deck change of fortune and dump stuff into your bin that's and i card. play those cards more and more these days especially in red heavy decks i think i'm just like you know what there's enough synergy with the graveyards that i do just want to be tossing stuff in there my anger is my whatever underworld breach is going to be in my deck somewhere so i know i still have a shot of getting that stuff back and also yeah. like the format's so fast now that like i feel like i need to be doing stuff and digging for things that are relevant now yeah uh, otherwise i just will fall behind in the games notably the format is fast in our meta it could still it's, be very battle cruisery wherever you're playing 
Yeah, it's fat. It's it's sped up everywhere just because of the way they're designing cards. It's definitely not what it was when we started this podcast. All know. hail Arcane Signet. <laughs> All right, next up for red, we got Maniform Hellkite. Two, bl- two red red for a 4-4 dragon with flying. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create an XX red dragon illusion creature token with flying and haste, where X is the amount of mana spent to cast that spell, and then you exile the token at the beginning of the next end step. So you can do this at instant speed to make blockers and other players' turns, or you can do it on your turn and just in your spells matter deck, just make a 2-2, a 4-4, a 5-5, and then swing with all of them and do some murder McMurder face tactics. Yeah, it is cool with instance. I didn't think about that really. It'll create a blocker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Even just a 1-1 brainstorm or something is just like, yeah, and then I block your thing and I get my value. Maybe that- I have something to sack and do something with it. Yep. Um, because you do have to exile that token at the beginning of the end step, you can do things like Sundial the Infinite and Opeka mm-hmm. to end the turn and just keep the tokens forever. Everybody is always so preoccupied with keeping the tokens forever. I don't think that's generally... You don't generally care enough to put yeah. those cards in unless there's a lot of synergy with other cards in your deck. If anything, I'm trying to sack those tokens to an altar to make more mana, and I yeah. just happen to get some incidental damage in because they're flyers with haste. But it's good value off of all your non-creature spells, so if you have a lot of non-creature spells in your deck, mm-hmm. I would consider putting this in just to like you know, get some damage in on top of it. If you have sack effects too, that can be really good. In general though, this could be a win con in decks that are going to like cast a lot of spells on a turn. A storm deck, it's kind of a little bit win more, right? Because if you're storming off... You should already have won at that point, yeah. Yeah, you're probably winning already. But there are decks that have cards like, you know, a classic one is Mana Geyser plus Reiterate. Ah, uh, yes. So you're going re- to buy back the Reiterate into your hand and you can recast it over and over again to recast Mana Geyser over and over again. Generally, that's going to create infinite mana um, and then you need to have some way to take advantage of the infinite mana to kill everybody. But if Mana Form Hellkite is out, you just go, I just you know, keep casting reiterate and making three threes yet mm-hmm. until I have enough to kill you. And they have haste. So, or sorry, kill everybody. Yeah. Uh, and red is actually quite good. I think at doing this in a few different ways now, because Jessica's will is in the mix. And these are, oh, yeah. these are just good cards that are going, so you can mana guys. And sorry, instead of mana guys, you can have Jessica's will, which is a lot less mana. Somebody's got seven cards in their hand. It's going to create the seven red. Mm-hmm. It's going to exile cards off the top of your library. Now, you maybe can't do this infinite times because you'll exile your library all the way. Or you could <laughs> and then just win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, Jessica's Will is so good. And then there's this package, Jimmy. I don't know if we've talked about it a lot on the show, but I find reasons not to put it in every red deck, but really you can just put it in every red deck. Yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Similar to the white theory we were talking about earlier, right? They don't have as many great options, so then the best options are the only ones. Yeah. Red has a lot of great options these days, but this package of Underworld Breach, Jessica's Will, Wheel of, of Fortune, Fortune. Dockside Extortionist... Um, Mana Geyser's in there too, has a real high propensity for just kind of accidentally going infinite uh, because, or not even necessarily infinite, but just close to infinite because you go, oh, Underworld Breach. Now I can cast 90 mana, yeah. Now I can cast my Jessica's Will again and get seven mana. And with that seven mana, I can cast my Wheel of Fortune. And then now that I've milled seven, I can cast Jessica's Will again. And now I can Wheel of Fortune again. And now I can Dockside. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, get a bajillion mana. And now I can, and just through casting that amount of spells, Mana Form Hellkite could be the win condition in that loop. Yeah. And I think... We've talked a lot about this card already, but this is just in the long line of red has value-based dragons. And now we're seeing more that are like, if you can do a lot of things in the same turn that you have it. There was that one in the last set that was printed. I forget what it was called, but it allows you to draw a card you yeah. know, and discard your hand and keep drawing and drawing. So this is a win condition version of that. So if you're in that sort of like big spells deck, Zadahedron Grinder slash the sort of like mirror wing dragon decks that are casting lots God. of little spells and copying their creatures over and over again. It's very good in Zada because it gives you another creature that it then... Then buffs up with Zada and then, yeah. Then the next spell you cast that says, you know, give everything plus three plus three, it creates a thing and then yeah. the next ones, it's like, you know, 
copy it for and draw a card and then blah yeah yeah it's real good in zada so yeah fun stuff i i like this card in general and it's just a fun rate so red get gets more interesting options that require you to set it up but it's good when you do all right the next one is olivia's attendance four red red for a six six with menace Manache. whenever olivia's attendance deals damage create that many blood tokens oh so it's a six six if it connects you're gonna get six, six blood, blood tokens, tokens. it's gonna connect with something because it deals damage not to opponents yeah exactly it can just deal it to a creature yep and it also has an activated ability which is two in a red olivia's attendance deals one damage to any target oh so that's what you can do with all the infinite mana that we just talked about generating that's true this is another win con with uh it's not hard to find a win con once you go mana guys just reiterate but whatever uh also you know three mana do one damage as a Tim aficionado, that will do more work than you think. It will often kill things uh, that Especially are Especially with important. a training ground. It'll just take out their their 1-1s one or even their 2-2s two sometimes. Mm-hmm. Six man is a lot, but sometimes you'll be willing to do it. So. And then you get a blood token every single time you do it, too. Yeah. And blood tokens, I think, are, can be powerful in the right deck. So we talked about artifact volume or artifact quantity decks before. Yeah. And Olivia's Attendant feels like a shoe in for the, you know... The gear, gear Pogo, per ether grid, yeah. Gear per ether grid, inspiring statuary. Make a lot of tokens that are artifacts and use them for benefit. <laughs> and use them. <laughs> and I, I think blood tokens are maybe a little better than I thought. And this might be because of limited. But the fact that they do rummage you is pretty powerful. And you might actually do that in some commander games just to get rid of a couple of lands. Cause in the decks that need it, especially. Yeah. And, and I think we've all been in a number of commander games where you just draw four lands in a row. Mm-hmm. Right? Blood tokens can help you solve that problem. It costs a little bit of mana, but rummaging can be a useful thing that you do want to do. Yeah, and a lot of commander games too are just like, if I only could draw that one card and you're willing to pay mana to do so, blood tokens kind of give you that consistent do it over and over again options. Yeah, I'll just sack the four and go looking. Hopefully I find something. Yeah, pay some mana, but I might, might get the answer. Might get the board wipe. Uh, this next one is the one I think is on the list with, um, what was the blue counter spell? Uh, blah, 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 wash away. And welcoming vampire uh, for one of the cards we're going to see the most after this set comes out. It's Reckless Impulse. One in red for a sorcery. Exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards. So keyword being play, that means you can play lands you exile this way. And it is until the end of your next turn. So even if on turn two you play this and you can't play the cards right now, no worries. Just wait till your next turn and you can still play those cards. Red's Knight's Whisper, if you will, and I play Knight's Whisper in basically every deck that has black. Now, it's quite a bit worse than Knight's Whisper when you start thinking about it. Yeah, if you exile a five drop or whatever. Yeah, and if you play this on turn two, and Knight's Whisper you often often do cast on turn two, if you get a land and a five drop, you only got one card out of this. Mm -hmm. Because your next turn you're going to play that land, and then the five drop you just cannot play. What if you get two five drops? (laughs) Don't build your deck like that. Yeah, or, or, (laughs) or, or just things that like you don't want to cast yet. Um, yeah, instant speed. Sometimes counter spells are the type of things that get flipped over with these kind of cards too. Yep. So it, there is a quite a significant downside to the fact that um, it's impulsive draw, not regular draw. So I don't think it's as good as Knight's Whisper, but it is still quite good. Mm-hmm. And I think like just the fact that it's in red, uh, you're going to play this in a lot of decks, and you're, you just have to know like I'm probably not casting this on turn two. What I'm probably doing is casting it on turn six in addition to some other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you just get two more hand cards for your hand. Maybe that turn, maybe the next turn. This is really similar to light up the stage, which you can actually spectacle for one red mana. 
but live the stage without that if you damage someone clause costs three so reckless impulse i think is a very similar world there but i think the light of the stage yeah the spectacle ends up being a little tougher than you want it to be yeah because you usually have to spend mana to deal damage to people and then you have less mana to cast the cards that you get or you might lose a creature because you need a bad make a bad attack or whatever yeah where reckless impulse is just going to do what it does and two mana is sort of worth it over the over the uncertainty of having to deal damage i think reckless impulse and like underworld breach again Mm -hmm. is the type of thing that helps you win a game in like in the the eternal deck i play in the a lot and the thing i always find is like oh i have like so many damage spells or i don't have enough i just need to dig a little deeper and reckless impulse is a way for red to dig a little deeper and if you have enough mana to pay for it and not worry about what you're doing next then i i could see it doing a lot more work yeah, I do think this card is quite good, but you you do have to be aware of the pitfalls of it. Yeah. I think it does get a little better with the Faithless Lootings and the Thrill of Possibilities of the World, too, because in the situations where you don't want to cast it, you just pitch it as one of the cards with those other cards. Yep. 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 Okay. Let's talk about Big. the only green card and... It's a monster. Is this the most talked about card for Commander in the set? I think it, it was, probably is. It was definitely the most like instant hype. Like, oh my gosh, could this be? And very quickly as we kept reading the text and learning the rules behind it, I was like, maybe it's not the full thing, but it's still pretty cool. I mean, it's very strong. It feels Nyx Blue Mansion-y. Uh, hey, mana cost, so. Let me just read it. Yeah. Four green, green, green. So seven mana for a star, star plant beast has trample. It's called Cultivator Colossus. I forgot to say the name of it. <laughs> Cultivator Colossus. Power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. Okay. Hopefully you have about seven because it's seven mana to cast. Uh, All right. When Cultivator Colossus enters the battlefield, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. If you do, draw a card and repeat this process. Oh. So you play it. If you have a land in your hand, you put it onto the battlefield and then you draw a card. And then you repeat the process so you can put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. And then draw a card. Then draw a card. You'll continue to do this until you run out of lands to put onto the battlefield, in which case you'll stop drawing the cards, and that'll just be how many lands you have, and that's how big Cultivator Colossus is. Mm-hmm. So if you have a lot of lands in your hand when you cast this, it could be kind of crazy. You could literally put... They come in tapped, but you could be like, you know... Draw five cards. Yeah, draw five, five cards, down. put eleven, you know, put ten lands down. If you let's say you had five lands in your hand when you did this, mm-hmm. like you know, you can draw five cards, and other than those five, maybe two or three more are lands. So maybe put seven or eight lands out. Yeah, draw seven or eight more cards. You know, have a big cultivator colossus at the end of it. That's like a, a modest scenario, I think. You're not often holding five car- lands in your hand, but... Yeah, the other thing... Yeah, there's, so there are some decks that are, like, now stack your hands with as many lands as possible, but Cultivator Colossus costing seven means you're probably playing it at the point when you have, what, two, three cards in your hand? So I think you'd want to make sure you are in a landfall deck. You have a lot of lands, so even if you don't have any other way to affect this, when you draw that card, you have a high chance of getting a land to repeat the process. Yeah, uh, but there are, of course, some combos, some ways to kind of, you know, stack the deck in your favor, as it were. The big one is abundance yay which is rebecca gway uh so maybe or maybe not related to the sam gway of earlier so abundance I'm just not getting involved in that conversation <laughs> i have no uh, i'm just putting, have no information i'm doing it. this all in thing where yeah. i keep pushing my chips until they fall off the other <laughs> side of the table uh abundance is a replacement effect it says if you would draw a card you may instead choose land or non-land and you reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a card of the chosen kind that card goes in your hand and the rest of the cards go on the bottom of your library in any order so with Cultivary Colossus and Abundance out, you basically put every single land in your deck onto the battlefield. 
That seems pretty good. <laughs> that does seem pretty good. That seems quite For a total good. of 11 mana, you too could be doing powerful things. And then you have a 37-37 or something. Yeah, and all the lands are tapped unless you have some sort of amulet of vigor thing going on, which... But next turn you win the game, right? I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Because you don't even need the Cultivator Colossus at that point. You you probably have the answer. But it answers. is a 37-37. It is. It's massive, trample, yeah. So that kills one player. And yeah. then, you know, with the 37 mana you have, you kill the <laughs> other two players. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... There's, a, there's other cards that are replacement effects like Underrealm Lich, which will help you here. It won't guarantee that you kind of put all lands into play. Right, you look at the top three cards and then you can bend as many as you... Uh, you select one and put two, two in, the in the graveyard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can kind of make sure you get more lands, but eventually you might hit a three a combination of three cards that there's no land among them yeah. and you'll have to stop. And also, you could mill yourself out if you're not careful. So at a certain point, you might want to stop. Um, a lot of people were talking about bounce lands in combination with Cultivator Colossus and... I think there was a uh, misconception early on, and it's, you know, in most places online, it's been corrected now. But just so everybody out there isn't thinking this, because I, originally I was like, oh, you can do oh, this. Oh, you can do this, yeah. No. So if you put a bounce land into play off Cultivator Colossus, you'll target another of your lands to bounce. But because of the way Cultivator Colossus is worded, you will have to repeat, draw the card and repeat the process before any land gets bounced. Yep. So you can't actually play a second bounce land to bounce the first one and then alternate the two. To draw your Because deck. those bounce triggers will not actually resolve until Cultivator Colossus stops doing its thing. Yeah, so the, the trigger for Cultivator Colossus goes on the stack and you have to resolve the entire thing before other things happen. You can't put another one on top of it, basically, because it needs to repeat the process to put lands on, draw them, put lands on, and then when that's done, it goes, boop, all the triggers will pop up. So if you had landfall, you know, rampaging Baylos or whatever. You won't get the four fours until after the Cultivator Colossus is done. Same with like AC and Tatiova, which draw you cards, which would yeah. be, you would think would be really good with this. It still is good with it, obviously, but it won't perpetuate the cycle. It won't. You won't keep drawing the cards and then still be putting them into playoff Cultivator Colossus again. Yeah. It has to resolve its ability fully, and then those other triggers will resolve. I think this card is good. It needs to be in a deck that's going to be able to like use the most out of it. Because if you just play this by its lonesome and you have like one land in your hand to drop out, it is you're going to feel bad. <laughs> Let me ask you, Nyx Bloom Ancient mm -hmm. or this? Which are you playing more often? Nyx Bloom all the way. Yeah, because it guarantees giving you plus 14 mana next turn. Yeah, and Where this you might may, give you plus six. Exactly, and you might have lands that are already untapped when you play an explanation, or you might cheat it into play, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have that mana instantly available to you, whereas Culture for Colossus comes in tapped. You have to jump through some holes to, like, make it really awesome, so... Yeah, you have to have some setup. You have to have some other cards in your deck. You have to have, you know, mana available to do stuff, yeah. Yeah, but I do look forward to playing a game where this happens, and I just watch 10 lands get dumped on the table. <laughs> Let's see cool. what happens. I look forward to being the player that's like, oh, did I get a land? Yeah! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Screaming in excitement. Okay. All right. Well, that does it for green. Only one card for green and black this time around. Very nice. That's good. They don't need it. They don't need it. They don't so. need no help. We're jumping right now into multicolored, colored, colored, colored. Uh, this first one up is a red and blue spell. It's red on the surface, but it's actually blue red because it has a cleave cost. It's Alchemist Gambit, one red red for a sorcery. And it says, take an extra turn after this one. During that turn, damage can't be prevented. At the beginning of that turn's end step, you lose the game and exile Alchemist Gambit. And if you pay the cleave cost, which is four blue, blue, red, the spell just reads, take an extra turn after this one. During that turn, damage can't be prevented. And you still exile the spell. So it's an extra turn effect for seven mana. And for three mana, it's a take one extra turn, and then you lose the game after. It's Final Fortune. Like Final Fortune. So obviously, Sundial the Infinite, Obeka makes the Final Fortune part better. Blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Uh, 
My question, is this good enough? Because the Final Fortune is a tough card to play, mm-hmm. but I had played it in decks that don't have Sundial before. And, and well, you yeah, you're just trying to, like, have the Eternal again. It's like, this is the turn I need to win, so I'm going to do this. So I'm going to play my extra turn. I'm going to kill everybody before yeah. the clause of I will lose the game goes off. The fact that this card has both modes, mm. does that make it worth the fact that it's a little bit overpriced regular extra turn? You know, sometimes yeah. you don't have to pay the cleave, even if you could, because with two turns here, I will be able to win. I think in blue and red, it should be fine because you may be playing the deck that's like, I just made 10 five, five dragons and killed you, or right. I just stormed out and did it. So I think it is good enough, but at the same time, time warp is five mana. Yeah. And you would play that over Alchemist Gambit, I think, almost every time. Yeah. But do you play over a six mana? Because there are six mana. There are six mana, yeah. part the Water Veil. Yeah, part of the Water Veil. And I play Nexus of Fate sometimes. I mean... Yeah. And that's seven. I don't know. I mean, the, the other part about this is that it does exile itself, so you can't rebuy it. Yeah. You can't redo it again. They've learned. You can't... Man, yeah, yeah, I yeah. wish they would have thought of that on Time Stretch. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. I, I think it's really close. I think if your deck has the way... If you find yourself often in that position of like, ugh, if only I was just first in turn order, I would have won this game, then Alchemist Gambit type cards, I think, would be good for your deck. It's scary to play, and I think people dislike the idea of losing to their own cards so much that they don't stick their neck out and try it in a yeah. lot of situations where they probably should, where it's like, listen, you're definitely going to lose on the next turn. You can't see it, but it's just that point in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, like, just, you know, go for it, and maybe you have a chance to win in a game you wouldn't. There isn't one interesting interaction that um, we had a lot of help on this episode from Truck uh, doing a lot of the research, and he found something cool, which is that the CMC of a cleave spell does not change even if you play, pay the cleave cost. Oh, it's similar to, like, Overload and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, Dual Strike, which is, I think, from from Kaldheim, mm-hmm. is red-red for an instant, and when you cast your next instant or sorcery um, spell with converted mana cost four or less this turn, copy that spell, you may choose new targets for the copy, and as foretold uh. for... Uh, uh, red so you can even foretell it for a red then seven mana cleave this get two copies of the cleave right and you're not going to get the text that says you have to lose the game yeah but you get two extra turns for eight mana which is better than time stretch yep <laughs> pretty i mean that's interesting and and i i didn't we didn't have time to maybe to check all the spells that care about cmco spells but there might be some loopholes something else there yeah yeah let us know in the comments you can also just play cards like platinum angel that says you can't lose the game yeah, those are good with Final Fortunes and whatnot. Yep. Um, I have those in, like, my my Obeka deck as, like, backups. Oh, nice. That way, yeah. if they kill Obeka a bunch of times, you can still play those cards. You can still play them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good call. All right. Uh, the next one is a green card, but it's also a Golgari card because of the cleave cost. It's Dig Up. Green for a sorcery. It says, search your library for a basic land card. Reveal it. Put it into your hand, then shuffle. But the cleave cost is one black, black, green. So four mana, but black and green which now says search your library for a card, put it into your hand, then shuffle. All right, that's a tutor. Yeah, so for four mana, and it is black and green specifically, you basically get Diabolic Tutor. Mm -hmm. But Diabolic, which we do not like on the show, and we've generally, you know, suggested that it's too much for a tutor and probably not worth running most of the time. Doesn't have the alternate option of just one mana get you a land into your hand. Yeah, and I was thinking about this, and I actually think in a deck that has these colors... It's probably right if you're heavy green to just put this in place of a land. Oh, interesting. Uh, so you just say 80% of the time I will use this early in the game to get a land. And Fix this is mana. just a land that just cost me a mana. Mm-hmm. But uh, for that land that cost me a mana, or basically it's similar to a land that comes in play tapped, 
Would you play a tap land that on the reverse side could tutor? Was a diabolic tutor. I mean, I play a lot of the MDFCs that yeah. basically have similar reasoning behind them. So yeah, I totally would. So I think that is a good way to look at this card. And I think it actually becomes quite a bit better when you view it through that lens. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that makes a lot of sense. I originally sort of like tossed this card aside because I was like four mana tutor, whatever, play whatever land. But again, green is the the colors that care about playing lots of lands. And even later on in the game, maybe you just need one more landfall trigger to get what you need to do to win. And so dig up gives you that option as well as a tutor. So I actually do like this card a bit now. Yeah, I think it's very similar to an MDFC. It comes in, it's like a land that comes in play tapped. You have yeah. to tap a land first, but then you can get a land that comes in untapped. So right, you're right, right. in the same position. But on but its mode, you know, X amount of the time is to, you know, cast a four mana tutor. And always hitting your land drops is important. Yep. Especially if it doesn't cost that much to get you there. And there have been cards like this in the past that I've seen a lot of standard play. There was the energy making one. There was also the one that cared about delirium that would tutor instead. Um, so yeah, don't I, be scared to just play this card for one green on turn one. Yeah, get a land. Get a land and just forget about it. Like, it is in your deck to be a tap land. Right. But it's just when you draw it on turn eight or nine that it's like, oh, and I don't need the land. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I think people play MDFCs wrong a lot of the time. Like, I'm playing my MDFC MDFCs as lands most of the time. That's why they're there. Yeah. They just have another mode that says, when I don't need the land and it's late in the game, now it's, it's useful to me in a way that a land is not. Yep. Yep, agreed there. Okay, uh, the last multicolored card we're going to talk about is a Planeswalker. And typically we put the Planeswalkers in their own separate category, but the other two in this set aren't nothing to write home about. Are nothing to write home about, not aren't. Uh, so we, yeah, so we did not talk about them. So we're just going to put the one multicolored one here. And it is Kaya, Geist Hunter. Sweetheart. One a white and a black. Oh, yeah. She's right here. He's got the playmat. I got the playmat. Here, you read it and I'll hold it. She's up hunting map. Geists. Plus one, she comes in with three loyalty. Her plus one creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn. Yes. Put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature token you control. But more interesting, minus two until end of turn if one or more tokens will be created under your control. Twice that many of those tokens are created instead. Minus six. Exile all cards from all graveyards, then create a one, one white spirit creature token with flying for each card exiled this way. Okay. I thank you. The whole time. Yeah, she's like, I am she's like, hunting geists. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Now it's going to be Kaya, I don't know, Rest Hunter. Just <laughs> wanting to relax for a bit. So the minus two is Anointed Procession. It is a token doubler. That's really the only thing we're talking about on this card. Yeah. Because the rest are like whatever. Um, but three man to do that yeah. is, at least for a one-time effect, you will get a big thing off of this, right? You, like you do that, you minus one. Hopefully that same turn you're doing something. Otherwise you have to come wait till your next turn to do it. But that was my question. How good is it that it's on a three mana thing? Because until now, token doubling has been restricted to four mana stuff. Yeah. But that stuff sticks around and does that over and over and over again. So is it worth it to play Kaya to you know on that, that same effect. turn for for three mana i'm not sure i'm not sure either because i think you don't want to do it on turn three that's for sure you're probably doing this like turn six or seven you play this minus it and then do the effect that gives you seven eight or not seven eight ten twelve whatever tokens so i think it's interesting that they put this effect on the planeswalker i actually kind of like that uh, quite a bit yeah this does not give you good protection as a planeswalker though because the plus one gives your creatures death touch until end of turn so it's not till the end of next turn so it's not like they're great blockers um and then it has some incidental plus one plus one counters on it so i think yeah it's, it's hard to play kaya and be like okay go and i'm gonna do it on my next, my next turn, turn when i have yeah. more mana available because she might die she probably will yeah i will say though that people will right there's a the bounce balance between there's a lot of enchantment removal because there's so many powerful enchantments now and there's also lots of creatures on in the game that can just kill a planeswalker normally so kaya dies very easily to a flyer um so i'm not sure 
if she's awesome, but I do like the fact that it's a redundant effect for a very powerful effect that is now a little bit more inaccessible because they have not we haven't seen that annoying procession card pre-printed in quite a while. Yeah. Yeah, she's a tough card to evaluate. I, I, I think she's probably... I think that downside is probably too high, but yeah, maybe she sees a little play. We'll see. Maybe. Okay. Uh, we're down to colorless cards. There's only one. It's foreboding statue. Three mana for a one-two, but you can tap it to add one mana of any color and then put an omen counter on it. At the beginning of your M step, if there are three or more omen counters on it, you transform it, and it becomes a five-five uh, that says... As 5-5 five, five construct artifact creature, pro- sorry. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, add one mana of any color. Okay. I didn't actually realize that this was a creature on the front side. Yeah, you thought, can't tap it the turn that comes in. Oh, um, that just makes it not playable. I thought it was just a mana rock. <laughs> I think it's interesting, maybe in the decks that want to have constructs and tons of uh, the construct deck, there is a construct ty- type of deck out there. Yeah, constructs and constructs. Um, but yeah, it is cool that it adds a free mana every turn and it does untap it. I think if it was a mana rock, you could consider playing it because it's a mana rock and we like two mana over three mana. Yeah. The fact that it turns into a five, five that still gives you that, that mana, mana, it might actually make it worth it. They're, they're, it feels like they're looking to try, how do we make three mana rocks better than two mana rocks, but not so good that they're too good? Yeah. And better than two mana rock. Yeah. Yeah. But right now two mana rocks are just. too good strictly better than three mana in almost all cases Mm -hmm. so it's like how do you how do you find the situation where it's like oh this three mana rock feels like you get enough extra for that extra mana that it makes it worth it to play it okay well sorry Uh, sorry everybody i wasted your time a little because i didn't realize it was a creature didn't waste my time i liked looking at the card (laughs) it was cool all right we're almost done here but uh we should just mention that there is a cycle of lands in this um set it is the enemy slow lands yes so which they, we wanted for a while yes and they're very good in commander they enter the battlefield tapped unless you control two or more other lands so you're playing this on turn three or plus blammo you're gonna get way better two than colors. the fast lands so infinitely better than the yeah. fast lands for commander um because you can draw this late in the game and they'll come in untapped as a two color source we have the enemy and the allied pairs now thanks to crimson vow and werewolf set <laughs> midnight hunt midnight hunt I'm so, like, which set? yeah okay they also have cool rr versions of these so these are i think easily commander staples across the board and you can pick them up they should be pretty affordable as well and i like them they're good lands. There's right. one other land I want to talk about. It's oh, okay. the Estate. It's a rare land. You tap it to add colorless, or you can pay one life to add one mana of any color, and you spend it only to cast a vampire spell. But you can pay five mana, tap it to create a blood token, and the ability costs one less to activate for each vampire you control. So in an Edgar Markov deck, this could be a land that just says tap, make a blood token. And we talked about blood tokens, so could be could be useful. Um, we didn't put this down on our outline, but Jimmy, I want to ask you a question. Rather yeah. than pick our favorites and the most powerful and everything. Okay. Um, what is the card that we talked about today that you think you will put into the most de- of your decks? Ooh. That you'll play the I'll most. I'll play the most? Probably Wash Away or Reckless Impulse. But if I didn't have to choose between the three that we've named sort of as like the MVPs. Welcoming Vampire. Yeah. You would say Welcoming Vampire, but you just don't have any white decks. I don't I really don't play <laughs> any white decks. Yeah. Um, probably in that case, I could see myself playing Hullbreaker Horror in a decent number of decks. Uh-huh. Um, just because I have blue decks and a lot of them have instants and stuff in it. Or the... Oh, don't forget the blue cemetery. Yeah, the blue cemetery uh, illuminator is the other one I liked a lot. Yeah, I think you? I'm with you. I think Wash Away is going to go in the most of my decks and I do have quite a few white decks so I'll play Welcoming Vampire. But if we take away those three we've earmarked as like probably the most staply cards, I think yeah. it might be Dig Up. Dig Up, yeah, for sure. 
because I, I do plan to put that in, but it is Golgari, so it can only go in a few, you know, I do have probably five decks that have those colors in it, maybe six. I also like Storm of Souls a lot. That one seems really fun. I love Living Death, and that's a black card that's kind of comparable. Yeah, I guess so. There's so, some similarities there. That's cool. Yeah. All right, we'd like to hear from everybody out there. First of all, what do you think of Crimson Vow? Um, are there any cards today that you thought we should have mentioned, but we did not mention? But also, I'd like to hear in the comments and, and prioritize answering this question above the other ones. <laughs> Which of the cards from the set do you think you would play the most uh, in the most of your decks? Like, I, I'm curious to hear what people think are sort of more of the staples that came out. Of oh, we didn't say the lands, but that's probably the real. Oh, answer. yeah, yeah, <laughs> the lands for sure. Just leave the lands out. Yeah, leave the lands the slow out. lands are obviously just going in the decks they can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, and let us know if we missed any cards as well, but answer that first question first and then get to that next one. All right. If you want to get your hands on Reckless Impulse, Wash Away, Welcoming Vampire channelfireball.com slash command and uh there's a common and an uncommon in there so they're not gonna be super expensive yeah channel fireball great sponsor of our show they really this marketplace they've got going on is really really cool i've been using it quite a bit already we got mm -hmm. christmas right around the corner so yeah now um, get your christmas gifts right now also you know you got friends and family and everything else so yeah. now's a great time you know don't wait until the last minute like I usually do so that it's like December 23rd and you're like, oh, crap. Oh, you're just I checking the USPS anything. tracking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, please, please, please. Or you're just at Target like walking around being like, what's left? <laughs> yeah, nothing. Don't, don't do that. Don't be me. Uh, go to channelfireball.com slash command. Pick up some of these really cool cards. Um, I think there's a number of cards from this set that you're going to want yeah. a bunch of copies of so yeah great power level so far and of course ultra pro another great sponsor of the show and a great gift oh yeah those are great gifts too oh my gosh a if you have a friend box. that like built a new olivia deck mm. what what a great gift to get them the playmat the sleeves the deck box that matches that deck yeah. yeah and ultra pro now makes a bunch of cool dice as well so there's just basically any part of the magic gameplay experience you can find a version of it that ultra pro makes that would also turn into a great gift or just one for yourself don't forget treat yourself you know yeah, they do have Eclipse Dice now, which they, oh, they yeah. sent us a they look really good. Yeah, they look great. So that's, good. that's something to well. check out. Yep. All right. Uh, now it's time for the end step where we talk <laughs> about something cool outside <laughs> the world of magic. What are you talking about? Magic is the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Well, I wish, but it's the day before when we're recording this. That's right. Two things are coming out tomorrow. The Cowboy yeah. Bebop uh, oh. live action. Okay, there we go. We can talk about the Cowboy okay, Bebop sure. live action. So Whatever. we talked about the Wheel of Time last time. For oh, we should talk bit. about Arcane, actually. Arca oh, you know what? Let's talk about Arcane. <laughs> you seen it all? I've, I'm the almost three. Yeah, I saw the first three. Um, it's amazing. It's incredibly good. They've spent six years making this. So for those oh, of you that don't know, know that yeah, <laughs> League of Legends slash Riot Games has been making an animated show based around the, some of their main characters, uh, champions in the game uh, for the past six years. It's called Arcane. It's on Netflix right now. By the time you see this episode, all nine episodes will be out. It's, it's sort of like in three chapters. Each of them are three episodes each, about 40-ish minutes. It's great. It, I was like, wasn't super interested. Yeah. Because, you know, it's an animated yeah, thing about a video game that I used to play. Do I need to know ago. about characters? Eh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like, video game adaptations don't have a great track record of being any good at all. So I was just like, not going to, like, I was just like, didn't care. Wasn't going to watch it. Start seeing some chatter online about people talking about how good it was. So I was like, okay, I'll watch. I'll try the first one and see how it is. And mm -hmm. I was like, I was like, you know, 30 seconds in, I was like, oh, this is really good. I'm going to watch them all. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. The animation quality is super high. It's not sort of like what those animations you see where they use 3D models and they're kind of clunky walking the, around. It looks great. The yeah. style is great. The fighting is awesome. If you know anything about the game, then you're going to be that much more invested, but you actually don't need to know anything. I don't know much about the game at all. I don't want to know much about the lore. I haven't really played it in like six years. I mean, Jace was my main, so he is a character. Oh, really? So I knew oh. who Jace was, but I have no idea about you know, there's a bunch of characters. I know who Vi and Jinx, Jinx are, are yeah. but I 
there's a bunch of characters that I'm like, that's probably a league character, but I just don't know who that is. Yeah. I, I, you know what I mean? But it doesn't matter because I can still enjoy the show. Yeah, and they're retconning some stuff too. Uh, I was watching it with Rosanna and uh, she like went to the bathroom and came back and was like, what happened? What happened? And I was like, that is the mark of a good show yeah. if someone forgot to ask you to pause it and they want you to rewind it just so they can see what happened. So I, it's actually really well done. I'm very surprised. Hopefully this can be a trend that continues in the future with video game adaptations. Well, we have a Magic the Gathering Netflix series that's supposed to come out in 2022. This gives me a little bit of hope. Take note. Watch Arcane. Hopefully, don't go too nuts with the uh, the edits. Six years, though. I didn't know that part. That yeah, makes they've been a working on it for a while. Yeah. I don't know how long they spent animating it, but I know they started the process a long time ago. Yeah. And Riot, they are very much perfectionists over there, and they like to just tinker, tinker, tinker. Yeah, I saw our buddy Thomas right Vu's all over that yeah. thing. So Thomas yeah. is like producer. Christian Link is the main guy that was working on it. So congrats to everyone involved. Yeah, if you it, haven't seen it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, they took their time, but it, it's worth it. Arcane on Netflix, definitely worth checking Wait, out. Wait, why did I throw it away? Um, oh, crap, we got to read... Uh, uh, vamping, vamping, vampires are cool. Vamp- Olivia's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, big thanks to our amazing team here at the Command Zone, especially the people that have been working on this podcast, because these are long ones with a lot of cards mentioned. So... Arthur Metacraft, Lady Danger, Manson Lung, Craig Blanchett, Ashlyn Rose, J- Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Patrick Nan, Jordan Pridgen, Sam Waldo, Gaurav Galati, Truck Ty, Jamie Block, Damon Lenz, Shana, Shana Gillis, and Evan Limburger. Thanks, Woo. everybody. Thanks to our team. And uh, big thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who does the Living Card animations that begin our show. He did and, this one. Uh, did, yeah, did this day's animation that sits behind us. You can find Jeffrey on Twitter at LivingCardsMTG. All right, everyone. Have fun out there. Go get married to some new decks and cards. And uh, we'll see you next time. We will see you soon. Peace. Bye-bye. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> <laughs>